The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, hey, what's up? 11 o'clock. How are you guys doing? Welcome to church. You made it. I am so glad that you're here. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are in a series called The Struggle. I am uh, I'm so excited to just be with you guys. We're going to dig in deep here today. And before I get going too far, um, when we first started this series, we said, uh, we asked the question, do you want to be an authentic church, an honest community? Do we want to be that for each other? And every hand went up. So uh, here's the deal. We're going to dig in deep this morning. We're going to get real. And uh, I'm probably going to get into your business a little bit. But uh, before we get there, um, here's the thing. We're going to be doing, I think, what I would call about a PG-13 message this morning. And so if you're a parent and you like to have your kids in the service, I just want to encourage you uh, to bring them downstairs. We have Pastor Josh in the back, and uh, he would love to escort you downstairs and check your kids into the basement. We will be talking about sex a lot today. And so if you just kind of flinched a little bit because I said that, um, that now's a great time to check your kids in. So, and, and here's what I want you to know too, is uh, what's going on downstairs in our Illuminate program is not just childcare. It's not just babysitting. They are worshiping with your kids, teaching your kids age-appropriate stuff. And so uh, know that there is amazing stuff happening down there every week. And so I'd love to get you guys checked in for that. So um, Pastor Josh in the back, check your kids in, and uh, but the rest is up to you. So that is your fair warning. Um, it's going to get honest in this room. So um, I'm excited, you guys. It's been a fun series so far. And I just love that ACF Church is a community of authenticity. I really think it is. I think in general, people that are part of our church want to just be honest with each other. And uh, it's funny, a couple of weeks ago, we had a new person come come to the church. And on the way out, she goes, you know what? It's like you guys are just a bunch of messed up people trying to follow Jesus. And I was like, yes, that is the church. I don't know if you can give us a better compliment than that. That's exactly what we want to be. It's just a bunch of messed up people following Jesus, because I think that's what we're trying to be. So um, we're going to get into this, but I'm going to pray for us early. Uh, I think that's a good idea. So let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for this, this opportunity we have to get together. Thank you for Sunday morning in this free place we can get together and, and worship you without worrying about anything, God. And uh, I just pray for authenticity in this room. I pray we can be ourselves. Um, even in the awkwardness of the conversation, God, that we could be open to, to being spoken to, God, that you would come in and change our hearts, affect us in a deep and powerful way. God, I, I just know that my words have no power on their own. God, we trust that uh, you do the work and that you have the power to save us and to redeem us and to pull us out of our broken situations and give us hope. And God, I ask that for every person in this room today, that we could leave this place a little more hopeful. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's a new year. Uh, you know, it's an opportunity. I think in, in January, a lot of people think about trying to get in shape and eating a little bit better. Um, we got a gym membership, my wife and I, a couple of years ago. And it's funny, when I first signed up to the gym, they called me up and they were like, hey, we want to set up a health assessment with you. And I'm like, oh, what is that? 
And they said, well, you're going to come in and we're going to like measure your arms and your legs and your waist and, and get your body fat percentage. And, and then we're going we're gonna to test you on that. And then here in a few months, we're going to figure out if you're getting any better. And we're going to let you know, like, are you healthy or are you not healthy? And I never signed up for it because I'd kind of rather not know. But um, when it comes to our health in general, we, we can figure out if we're healthy. There are ways that we can test ourselves and test our bodies to figure out, are we doing okay? Are we healthy in general? Well, when it comes to our sexuality, here's the question. How do you know if you're healthy? Like, how do you know if you're doing okay? How do you know if the way that you're living and the way that you view yourself sexually is, is in a healthy way? Um, and and is, there, is there one baseline that we can use to determine uh, the answer to that question? Uh, so, um, when it comes to kind of who you are on a sexual level, all of us at a very, uh, probably a pretty young age, start getting curious and start asking a lot of questions. Now, I don't know what your journey's been. Maybe your parents had the awkward conversation with you. And you're like, I remember that moment where my dad sat down. He's like wiping his brow. He's sweating. And, you know, he's trying to talk to me about this stuff, you know. Or, or maybe you never had that conversation and you learned everything that you know from your siblings or from the Internet or, you know, from the back seat of the school bus. I don't know where you got your information. But at some point, you start getting a little curious, looking for answers. And I think for all of us, there's a moment that we have that, that we started getting information that wasn't quite right. And we can look back and we go, man, I think this is where things got a little twisted and got a little off. Um, so I remember when I was 12, we were living in Minot, North Dakota. Anybody lived in Minot, North Dakota? Only you, Steve, you're the only Minot person? That's awesome. You're alone, buddy. Okay, so there's a base in Minot, North Dakota. My dad was in the Air Force, and so we're stationed there, and it is isolating and cold and dark. That's all you need to know about Minot. Do not move to Minot if you don't have to. So we're just, you know, I'm 12 years old, and you might not know anything about my family. I've got an older brother. He's four years older than me. And it's just a dark winter day. We're hanging out in the basement watching TV, and uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air comes on. Any Fresh Prince people? Come on. Love Fresh Prince. So we were watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and uh, I'm kind of paying attention, kind of not. I was playing a game over here, and, and, and uh, all of a sudden, you see Will Smith and Carlton. They're, they're running around the room, and they've got this magazine. They're trying to hide it in the refrigerator, and they're hiding it underneath the cabinets, and, and then all of a sudden, the, the mom comes in, you know, and they're acting like nothing's going on, and she leaves the room, and then they run over, and they grab the magazine, and I remember they pulled it out, and they both just stood there, and they opened it up, and you know, it was like, fold, 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 all the way to the floor, right, and they're like, oh man, and they're looking at this magazine, and so I'm 12, and I'm watching this show, and I'm like, what is this? What are they looking at? And I figured out, as they're talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a magazine with pictures of naked women. And I'm like, and I remember in my head, I was like, does this exist? Like, at this point in my life, I'd never seen anything like that and been around it. And I'm like, does this actually exist somewhere? Somewhere Because as a 12-year-old, you know, it's like the scariest thing on earth is being naked, right? Like, when you're in the gym or, you know, you're at the, you're going through the locker room, you're running around like somebody's shooting at you, right? Because you just want to get clothes on and get out of there. I mean, being naked is not a good thing when you're 12. And so I'm just, this is kind of processing in my mind. And I'm like, why would anybody do that? And that just seems weird. And I can't believe that. But the next day, my mom was like, hey, we're going to get together. We're going to go to the BX and we're going to go get some groceries. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, sure. So we load up in the car, we go to the BX and she's over here buying groceries. And I go over to the magazine rack 
Um, I was learning to play guitar, and so there were all of these, like, Guitar World magazines that I would look at. And so I'm down low, I'm looking at all the guitar magazines, and I, I just remember this so vividly. I stand up, and right in front of me is one of these magazines. You know, like the plastic's pulled off of it, because that two millimeters of plastic, that's really going to protect a 12-year-old from, you know, opening a magazine. Somebody's already taken it from the top shelf, and just, they, they, they looked at it, and they, they put it right in front of me, right? So now I'm like, no way, it does exist. And so I'm staring at this magazine, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, I remember my heart rate's going up, and I'm like, am I going to? Am I going to grab it? I don't know. Like, do I do this? Will I go to hell? Like, I don't know what that means. Like, if I touch the mat, and, and then I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I grabbed it, and I, you know, then I walked over here into, like, you know, the, like the fruit section, and I'm, like, looking at, you know, because you can't just stand there. And so I'm, like, walking around this magazine, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this exists. Who would do this? This is insane. And so, so then I got, you know, kind of freaked out. I put it back, and I, I went home. And, well, the next day, I, my mom, she comes down the stairs again. She's like, oh, I forgot something at the grocery store. Who wants to go with me? And I was like, I want to go. And so like this turned into like this every other day routine of me going to the grocery store to visit the ladies in the magazine aisle. And this was over and over and over and over again. And can I, can I talk about this? I don't know. Is this wrong? This, see, this is the church that we have. What, what can I say? But this was, this was, I feel like, the beginning of me developing a twisted perspective on sexuality. This was when I, I got some information and education that, that wasn't quite right, that, that wasn't going to help me develop, I think, a healthy perspective on who I was and who other people are when it comes to sex. And so, what is, what is sex? At a, at a most basic level, you could describe sex as like a, a transaction between two people. A very, at a very basic mechanical level, it's two people offering themselves to each other. I mean, essentially, that's what the word intercourse means. It's a, it's a transaction. And so here's what I would say. If sex is sort of like a transaction, then I would say that the cost determines the value of that transaction. That the cost determines the value. So here's what I mean by that. If you were to ask me right now, Brian, how much is a house in Eagle River worth? What I would do is I would go look at the market, right? I'd go say, well, houses are going for, you know, three to 400,000, you know, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but, but the cost determines the value of a home. It's, it's kind of like a house is valued at whatever people are willing to pay for it right now. And the market's going to go up and down depending on that. You might say, Brian, how much is a gallon of gas worth? Well, I'd say, you know, it's like a, a buck 99, you know, it's not worth very much right now. And, and, and so what you can say is that the cost sort of determines the value. And I would say the same is true when it comes to sexuality, that essentially the cost determines the value. So what that means is the less you invest, the cheaper the sex. The less you invest, the cheaper the sex. So here's what I mean by that. I'm a mechanic. I love working with my hands. I love buying tools. It's one of my favorite things. And um, a good friend of mine one time introduced me to a store called Harbor Freight Tools. Anybody ever been to a Harbor Freight Tools? A few of you guys? Okay. So it is the best store ever uh, if you're a guy. They sell the absolute cheapest tools you will ever find. You can get a package of like 24 screwdrivers for $1.99. But you do because it's $1.99, right? Why would you turn that down? 
So he brings me to the store, and I was just starting to kind of develop a toolbox and get things filled up. Well, I think I got every tool known to man for about $57. I mean, I was loaded full of everything you could ever want, and so I'm excited. Well, the first time I go out to use one of the screwdrivers, it strips out, right? The first time I go out and I use one of the multimeters, it stops working. Everything works about one time at, at Harbor Freight Tools, just so you know. Like, you can, you can use it about once. The thing is, you do because it only costs you a buck ninety-nine. And so what happens is you got all filled up with all of this, this cheap stuff. And, and instead of going back and getting better tools, what do I do? Go buy the cheap ones again. And essentially what happens is that cheap things kind of become an addiction in our lives. Some of you love cheap stuff. You just, you've spent a lifetime of buying all kinds of cheap stuff. That's what I always do. I tend to buy from Walmart, right? Buy the cheapest that I can get. I want to get the most for the least, right? That's a general kind of way of looking at life. I want to get the most product for the least investment. So cheap things, I think, become an addiction because we become accustomed to all the benefit without the cost. You see what I'm saying? So I would say this, when it comes to our sexuality, the same can be true. That depending on where you got your education or your experience when you were younger, you developed a perspective on sex. And some people, I'd say many of us developed a perspective of this, of this sort of, if I can get all of this sense of, of uh, satisfaction with as little investment as possible, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be good. But I would say the statement is true, the, the less you invest, the cheaper the sex. And so as you look at the world around you, I'd say there's essentially two kinds of sex that are, that are being experienced. The first one I'm going to call this broke sex. I'm going to call it broke sex. Anybody remember being broke? Anybody broke right now? Come on. Yep. All right. <laughs> Every teenager in the room. You guys are like, yeah, I'm broke. I only have a dollar to my name. So I remember when I first got married, um, we were broke, like nothing to our name, just trying to get by we lived in a tiny home before tiny homes were cool, just because it was tiny, right? You just, you live in a small house. You try to get by and you eat broke people food. Anybody eat broke people food, right? Like, uh, like ramen noodles, gotta love ramen noodles. And, uh, you know, mac and cheese, gotta love mac and cheese. And, and we just, we lived with sort of a broke person perspective on life. You, you don't have much to spend. And so again, it's like, get as much as you can for as little as possible. So the thing is, when you're broke, you often think more in terms of taking than in giving, right? Like, like if you're here today, when you see the offering plate go by, you're like, I'd kind of rather pull a buck out than put one in, if I'm honest. Like, I need something, and so, like, I don't have much to give. I'd rather, I'd rather take something. And essentially, I would say that, in general, there, there's a whole group of people, and, and we buy into it at different times, this sort of broke sex, this perspective on sexuality that is from this broke perspective. So I would say that in general, there's people that are spiritually broke. And, and maybe you felt this, and maybe this is you today. So you came to church today, and, you, and if I asked you, like, how are you doing with God? You would say, there is like zero capital between me and God right now. Like, we're not doing good. I'm just hoping, you know, I don't get struck by lightning just by being in the church. I mean, I have no right to be here. I am spiritually broke. And what I want to tell you is that this broken type of sexuality, it, it's, a, it's a symptom of a broken spirituality. Because when you get your soul right, you're going to get your sex right. 
But the problem is our, our souls are pretty messed up. In general, we live pretty spiritually bankrupt lives, and there's not a whole lot of capital between us and God. And so then what you do, you do spiritually bankrupt, uh, broke sex things. Like you call that girl or you call that guy to spend a night with them, but you know, like I shouldn't call them. Um, they're not good for me. I'm not good for them, but it's going to make me feel okay for the evening. You know, you do, you do broke sex things. Like you can't look at the, a member of the opposite sex without looking them top to bottom, right? Guys, ladies, you find yourself like, I don't really look people in the eye anymore. I just, I check them out which again is sort of this like, I want to take something from you perspective on sexuality. Or maybe you're married here today and you'd say, yeah, Brian, in my marriage, we're kind of broken sexually speaking. Like it's really a mess. In general, um, it's more of a take than a give when it comes to our sexual relationship as a couple. So so that, that's what I would call broke sex. If it's, if, if it's not broke sex, I had to come up with another B word, so I'll call it bling sex. So we got broke sex and we got bling sex. So bling sex is what happens when rich people have sex, right? Um, So like you would say this probably that you can be rich and not have a dollar to your name, right? Like some of you are here today and you're like, Brian, I feel rich. I feel like I feel really like full in life. And I feel like God has been with me and I feel like there's a peace in my life. And although I don't have a dollar to my name, I feel rich. And I would say there's a way to experience sexuality in a way that is rich. And it flows from a richness between you and God, from a spiritually rich place. There's this guy, Paul, that we're going we're gonna to read some of his words right now. And he lives this rich life. Uh, turn to 1 Timothy 1 if you have a Bible. You can also follow along the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, 1 Timothy 1, 12. Paul's going to help us see what it's like to have this kind of rich way of looking at the world. He says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful piece of scripture? I mean, you just read it in his voice. There's this story that Paul has. He says, he says God came to save sinners of whom I am the worst, the foremost. So what you pick up on is that Paul's got a story. Like he's got a past. You got a past today? Paul's got a past. And, and he, he's saying like, listen, I've got this messed up story. He, he, he was persecuting Christians, opposing the faith. And then through this miracle experience, he gets saved. And now God uses him to be one of the major influencers in the early church. And so he's going, hey, guys, look at my life. Look at me. Look where I came from. You just sense that when he talks about his story, he's not covered in shame. Don't you, don't you read that in his letters? As you read the, the letters of Paul, you don't feel like this guy is lost in his shame. You feel like this guy's got peace with his past. Where do you get that? 
Like, where does somebody with that messed up of a story find peace with their past? It's like Paul has this, like, spirit flowing out of him. And in a different letter, we're not going to go there right now, but in Galatians 5, Paul talks about what happens when you get the Spirit of God inside of you, like how life changes. And he talks about what's called the fruit of the Spirit. You guys know these? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So those are all the, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, this is what happens when Christ saves you when he comes into your life. So here's my question for you. I asked you earlier, is, is your life healthy when it comes to sexuality? And how do you determine that? I would say the best way to determine that would be to use this lens to look at your sexuality. And ask yourself this question, question right now, just as, as we're talking, consider this. When it comes to sex, when it comes to sexuality in your life, is your life loving, joyful, peaceful, patience, kind, good, gentle, faithful, and self-controlling? Like, does that describe your sexuality? Because this is what the Bible's trying to do. It's trying to help us. It's trying to give us a gauge for what is healthy. How are we doing? Because here's the problem. Um, people are all over the place when it comes to sexuality in our culture. I mean, there is no, uh, no through line when it comes to what is right and wrong. It seems to just be whatever feels good for you, whatever seems right to you, as long as you're two consenting adults, do whatever is right in your own eyes, right? It seems like that's kind of what the culture has, has done. If you just asked your friends or your coworkers and had this conversation, which would be awkward, just like it is right now, but if you just had this conversation with them, and you were like, maybe you're single, and you're like, hey, so um, so how many dates before it's okay to have sex with somebody? And you just asked your friends. Um, you know what you'd get? A hundred different answers, right? If you asked three, three friends, you'd get three different answers. If you said, hey, is it okay to have sex before you're married? Like, what do you guys think about that? You ask three friends, you're going to get three different answers. If you ask them, hey, how many sexual partners is too many? Like, if it's, you know, single digits or like is in the, in the teens, is that when it gets weird? I mean, at what point is this not healthy? Is, is this too many? How about like, here's a question. So I'm a, I'm a youth pastor turned senior pastor. I love teenagers. And whenever you do a series with teenagers about sexuality and you, you open it up to questions, one of the questions that comes up is, is oral sex really sex? Like, can you call that sex? Is that, does that count? Like, I don't know. Um, can we get by with that? Like, you know, am I, am I still a virgin? I don't know. Like, there's all these questions about it. And if they ask their friends, you know what they're going to get? Probably a ton of different answers because there's no way of determining what's good, bad, right, or wrong. I mean, as a married couple, you could ask yourself the question, is pornography okay um, if, you're, if you're married? There's a lot of couples that watch pornography together. They're like, hey, it spices up our sex life. It's good. You know, it's, if, as long as it's two adults and we're agreeing to this, it's fine. You know, or, or when does when does sex become unhealthy? At what point does it go from being something that's healthy to uh, something that's disrespectful and not good for each other? Anybody uncomfortable yet? How you doing? Okay, so I'm just trying to I'm just trying to be real with you. These questions need answers, don't they? Your teenagers need answers to these questions. If you have teenagers. You, if you're single, you need to find answers to these questions. And, and, and it can't just be whatever feels good for you. 
you might, you might say, well, Brian, why can't it be? Why can't I just determine morality based on what I feel like is fun or encouraging for me? Because I think this, as you look at the world around you, I think the system is broken. Uh, would you agree? Like when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to the way that the world sees sex, do you think the system's broken? Do you think in general, are people experiencing more healthy and f- fulfilling sex lives because of the, uh, the way that the, the world views sexuality? In, generally, in general, are women and men more respected when it comes to their sexuality? In general, is there more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control when it comes to the way that our culture is encouraging you to, to, to respond sexually? Is it, is it helping? Like, are we doing okay? Like, is, is the system working? Would you say, in general, uh, kids are growing up in healthier, more loving households where there's two parents to raise them and help them to, to live and, and to, to know how to, how to grow up and how to be a man or how to be a woman? Do, do, you, feel like, do you feel like families are tighter today and, and people are healthy sexually today because of the way that we're doing this thing? And I would say it's not. I would say it's not working. I would say we need another way of determining what's good and what's not. And I would, you know what? And I see it too. I see it everywhere. Um, If you open up your spam folder, which is dangerous, uh, what you're going to see are all of these articles that say like 10 ways to a healthier sex life, right? Or, Or just go to the grocery store after after church and walk through the checkout line, every men's magazine, every women's magazine, what's the headline? 10 ways to a better sex life. How to please your man, how to please your woman. Like it's all about how to do better when it comes to sexuality. And so what that tells me is that people are searching. That this broken type of sexuality that is more take than give, that is about trying to get as much for as little as possible is not working for people. Even if you're like, well, Brian, it's legal, it doesn't mean it's helping you at all. And I would say this, if the fruit of the Spirit are the way to determine a healthy view of sexuality, then there's one way that you can experience the exact opposite of all of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's, that's through pornography. And we've talked about pornography as a church a little bit, and we've just decided as a church that, that uh, it's just not helping anybody in our, in our society and in our world, that in as you look at what the impact is from porn in our culture and in our lives, it's just not helping anybody. And so we need to take a stand. We need to do something about that. And and we can make some changes. And so there's a friend of mine in our church here. He's been willing uh, to share his story when it comes to this topic of pornography. And so watch Chris's story. My name is Chris. I've been coming to ACF for a little over a year now, about a year and a half. I uh, came up to Alaska in the military uh, by way of Italy. Uh, spent the last seven years of my life in the Army. Got two more to go. Uh, I'll stay up here, make a life up here, and uh, keep coming to ACF Church. I love this place. I uh, joined the Army in 2008. Um, entered that lifestyle of just porn was everywhere. It was what we did. It was how we coped. It was everything. We shared, we watched it together. Guys would, you know, compare actresses, porn stars, all kinds of stuff. Uh, the most recent time 
my wife caught me, it absolutely destroyed her. It was two months after she just had a baby, and she found porn on my phone. And, you know, seeing that uh, proof of society's image or society's perspective on what women should look like, it created a whole new slew of issues for her. You know, she started thinking of herself as not good enough, and uh, she started trying to be that perfect image. It made daily life for her that much more of a battle that she didn't have me on her side in her eyes. It didn't matter what I said. You know, actions speak louder than words, and what I was saying to her through my actions was, you're not what I want. That wasn't true, but perception is reality. I was actually amazed at the grace she showed to the last time. There was no yelling. There was no screaming. It was just, get help, make this stop. And it, in, in my mind, things were on, on the edge. Everything was about to collapse. So I saw my life about to just end around me. And I knew that I needed to fix something about me. Uh, it was during the Sex Lies series that uh, Brian was putting on. There was a few testimonies, and that was actually when Bethany caught me. She'd had enough. We both knew something needed to change. And so I remember uh, Brian had plugged CR into one of his sermons. And so I, right then I was like, all right, like this is, it has to happen. There's no other way. So I came that Friday, listened to the lesson, just kind of like, all right, yeah, this is, you know, so this is what recovery looks like. And then we got into the open share meeting, the breakout groups, and it was amazing. I'm sitting there, I'm shaking, and every single person that was talking, they shared their their secrets, their hurts, their their struggle, and everything they said was my words coming out of their mouth. Every time somebody spoke, it was looking in a mirror. And so I, I felt like I finally found a place where I belonged. I found, I, you know, I left there hopeful. So then walking down that road, I found a sponsor. I uh, started working my, my recovery, my steps. Um, he helped me go through a lot of the hurts in my past. So we kind of managed to identify uh, where everything started. And in doing that, it led me to make Jesus king of my heart, and it brought me into the forgiveness and the love and the grace of God. I was baptized this past Easter um, after come, after being in CR for about five months, and now I just do my best to live every day in God's will and fight back against this struggle. Let's give Chris a hand, can we? Man, so courageous, right? Anybody else want to jump up? Terrifying. Let's read this passage again, 1 Timothy 1.16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. That's what we just experienced, essentially. What Paul is saying, what Chris is saying here is that my story is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for other people with a past to see me and to say to themselves, if God can save them, he can save me too. If God can give them freedom, he can give me freedom too. If they can find peace in their marriage, I can find peace in my marriage too. And that's what 
Chris's story was is it's a testimony of God's goodness and his grace. And I love the story because it shows you there can be freedom and there can be peace, but it takes work. He talks about going to CR, which is Celebrate Recovery. And that happens every Friday night. And it's scary when you show up and do something like that. It's scary to say, do I really need help to the point that I need to show up to a recovery program? But when you do, it's, it's like, okay, I'm taking this seriously. There, there's some hope to be found in actually taking some steps forward. I love his, so, his story. I'm so grateful for that because that's not easy to share. You see that he kind of walked out of shame, which I love that. Um, because here's what I want you to know is that shame will derail God's vision in your life. It will derail it. And if you're here today and you're like, Brian, you, um, you're touching a nerve right now because I've got some stuff that I did in the past. I've got some stuff that I'm doing right now, um, and, and it hurts. Here's the thing. I want you to know that, that the whole entire goal of the enemy is to keep you so caught up in shame that you are ineffective for the kingdom of God. And, and that's how it works, is when you're lost in shame, you're not dreaming about what God could do through you. You're not dreaming about how you could help people, serve people, love people. It's like, I just hope to get by another day, and I hope God doesn't strike me down dead for what I'm doing. So you lose your vision. You lose what you're supposed to be. And, and this is so important to me as a pastor, because I feel like, so we have this crowd of people that gather every week that call themselves the ACF Church community. And I feel like our city is is dark, you guys. Alaska is dark. People need to hear about Jesus. You've got friends that need you on your A game. And when you're caught up in shame, you're just thinking about trying to get by. You're just hoping to make it through another day. And I just, I dream and I think about a church completely empowered to do the work God has called them to do. I think about a people who could leave shame at the doorstep and be able to come in and, and to feel like one of the children of God and to feel hopeful and at peace and to start to dream again about what God wants to do in your life. And just think of all your friends and all the impact we can have before a church operating in this way. And I was reading an article this week about how pornography and, and sexual sin is, is, according to this pastor, the greatest barrier to the church being the, the mission that it needs to be. It's the greatest barrier to you operating in the gifts that God has for you because it catches us in so much shame. So I want us to find some peace today. I want us to start stepping forward so we can start to have the vision for something greater. And here's why this is so important. You're like, Brian, just give me 10 steps to get over my porn addiction. I get that. But if you don't have a vision for something greater, it's not going to work. You're going to go home and you're going you're gonna, to you know, be determined to fix all this stuff and it's going to last about 24 hours and then you're going to go back to your old behavior because you haven't looked forward to something greater. But when you catch a better vision for yourself, you start operating in the gifts and abilities that you have, this, this stuff starts to seem less important. You know why? Because you start getting full. You start growing that bank account between you and God and all of a sudden you're not operating in this poor, broke way of seeing life and, and your sexuality. You start operating off the top of the tank and you start feeling full again and you start operating in that way. And I, I want that for you. I want to start, you just start dreaming again. Start to have vision again. So there's a few things that I think are keeping us from doing this. A few lies, uh, myths that we believe. And the first one is, is this, that it's just physical. It's just physical when it comes to sexuality. Matthew 19, 5 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so I don't know when you last heard this verse or if you've ever heard it, but it was probably at a wedding if you ever heard it, right? That's the classic wedding verse. It's the, you know, it's the pastor's last chance to tell the couple, listen, this is forever, folks. Like, seal the escape hatch. This is it. Stay together. This is it. You guys are, you guys are two becoming one. You can't, you can't break one apart. It's now just one being. And, and you might say, well, that's good. That's kind of what sexuality and sex is. It's two couple or two people coming together as one, one person physically. But there's a deeper spiritual implication in this text. That that was what sex was intended to do was not to bind two people only physically, but also on a spiritual level. That's why it's such a gift. If you ever like, man, God hates me. Just think about sex. Amen. Like, praise God. God made sex. He loves you. He does. He loves us. What a gift. He could have made it something completely different, couldn't he have? Oh, man. Anyway, I'm not going to go down a tangent. Could have been something way different. He didn't, though. He gave us sex. And, uh, and what a beautiful gift. And too many of you have heard it talked about in the church. It's such a horrible thing to try to protect you. But I'm not going to do that. It's such a gift when it's done God's way. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Two become one. And you might still be convinced, Brian. No, I think it's just a physical thing. I'm not sure it's really that. If it's only physical, then how come when somebody is abused sexually, it hurts them for so long? Why does the damage from that continue through so much of people's lives? I mean, think about it. Like, people are abused physically or hurt physically. You know, you might have been hurt physically as a kid in some way or another. But when you're abused or hurt sexually, the wounds go deep, don't they? Why are they so deep? Why why does it hurt us so much? Think about it like this. If it's just physical then why does the relationship change so much when you introduce sex? If it's just, it's just physical, if it's like, yeah, it starts with this, you hold hands, then there's second base, you know, you start hugging and kissing a little bit, you know, third base, it gets a little more physical, and then there's, you know, sex. If it's just the next base, then why does it get so weird when you involve sex? Why does everything change as soon as you cross that threshold? Because your souls are connected when you start playing with things, sexually speaking. If it's just physical, then why are things like rape so damaging? Again, it's not just physical. You can punch me in the shoulder. You can beat me up. When, but when there's sexual, um, some kind of sexual pain in your past, it it carries around through your life, and it's, it's hurtful. And so we have to be honest with ourselves and say, this is so much more than just a physical act. And it, it's not supposed to be just a physical act. God gave it to us to, to bind two people together. And that's, that's why it's, it, it has to happen within the safety and security of a marriage. Because when you bind yourself emotionally and physically and spiritually with other people, there's a tearing that happens that was never meant to be experienced. Myth number two. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting anyone. You need to know this. Broke sex hurts the people around you. It does. This broken taking type of philosophy about sexuality, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt people. Um, it's going to hurt you too. There's been so much great research done in the past few years about how pornography hurts your mind. 
And, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I've done some reading on this recently of how, like, your brain responds to pornography. And if you're like, no, Brian, it's just, you know, it's just a, a pastime. You know, it's just how I get to sleep at night by looking a little porn. It's like, if it's just, you think it's not really hurting anybody, it's not really hurting me. It's scientifically proven that what's happening is your brain is literally connecting pleasure to porn. It's connecting pleasure to porn. And, and then it releases dopamine and you start to kind of get this high and they actually equate it to, to being addicted to cocaine. It is that strong within you. And then so, so what happens is slowly over time, the high is a little lower. And so the only way to get the same high is to search for harder core pornography and to experience it more often. You find yourself, you're looking at it at work and you're sneaking a look at school, you know, and you're risking more because the same high can't be caught from doing what you used to do. And I mentioned this a few, uh, a few months ago because I read this article that blew me away that one of these uh, porn magazines that's been kind of a head, headliner in the industry for a lot of years has changed their approach this past, um, this past year because they realized that they weren't getting as many subscribers, that they had run out of new ways to have people take their clothes off in their magazine. They're like, we've just done everything. We can't come up with any good ideas. So their new idea is to have women put more clothes back on. This is the new philosophy. They're like, well, we can't figure out new ways to have them take it off, so we're going to have them take, put more clothing on so that we can get that same, you know, the, the new addiction, the new thing, the new high. Is that crazy to you? I mean, it's, it's got to show us, like, this cannot be good for us. I was reading another interview. Um, they were interviewing the, uh, the singer-songwriter John Mayer. You guys know who John? Mr. Mr. Your Body is a Wonderland himself. Um, now, I'm a John Mayer fan, but I was reading this article, and he was talking about how much he loves pornography. And he was like, he said literally this. He said, at this point in my life, I'd prefer porn to a real woman. Is that weird to you? Like, I was reading that, and I'm thinking, this is John Mayer. John, like, can John Mayer get a date? It's John Mayer. Can John Mayer get a date? I'm thinking, man, I would date John Mayer. He's John Mayer. <laughs> Think, can John Mayer find, you know, some beautiful woman to go out with? Probably, probably. But think about this. Think, at this point in his life, he has dove so much into this pornography that at this point he would prefer to sit in his bedroom with a laptop than to actually spend the time to invest in another human being and actually develop a relationship. So tell me this isn't hurting anybody. I think it is. I think it's hurting. It's hurting you now uh, if you're single. I want you to know it's, it's not just robbing something from you. You're actually robbing satisfaction from your future spouse. Like it, it affects marriages in deep and, and wounding ways where slowly over time, the studies are very clear that your actual spouse becomes less pleasing to you and your sex life physically uh, is not as enjoyable. Um, the new thing I was, I was watching this week that um, is coming out is uh, virtual reality sex. So now they've got, the, have you seen these things? I saw it on Jimmy Fallon the other day. They had this like deal. The dude was like, oh my gosh. He was, and everybody's laughing. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, this cannot be good for us. I mean, the, the entire goal is to experience uh, this feeling that feels so much like real life, but to actually not have any real connection with another human being. Is this really good for society? We as the church, we can, we can change some of this. Like we can we can do something different. The myth number three is this. It's completely normal. 
It's completely normal. Um, and I'll say this. Uh, it's sort of a myth because th- this is true. It is completely normal, but what's also normal is sexual dysfunction. Um, sexual addiction is normal. Sexual abuse is normal. Unfulfillment is normal. Shame is normal. So if you're like, well, Brian, it's completely normal. Yeah, a lot of things are normal. Uh, Paul, who was writing the letter earlier, also says this in in a different passage. He says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Like, sure, is it permissible? In other words, is it legal? Sure, but I, I just pray that we don't use legality to determine morality, right? Because just because it's legal doesn't mean it's helping anybody. And I would say this for pornography, that it is not helping anybody. It's only hurting people. So I want to give you guys a few tips um, because I do think that there's a couple things here. There's, I think you need a bigger vision. I think we all need a bigger vision for our lives. I don't think it's enough just to show up to church on Sunday and maybe to buy into the things that we do as a church, which I think is part of it, but also for you personally and all the, the impact that you can have. If you're not dreaming about who you are and who God wants you to be anymore because you're so stuck in shame, I think you need to catch a bigger vision. I think you need to receive the grace that Paul talks about here and move forward and say, listen, I know I have a messed up story, but God is going to use that story to help other people see that if he can save me, he can save them. That, that's, there's vision for you. Start to be that person. If God can save me, he can save you. And that's going to redeem this broken past that you have. So beyond the vision, there are a few practical things that I think we should do. Um, if, if we're honestly wanting to get better, if you're honestly like, yeah, Brian, I just, I feel like this part of my life is a little broken. Um, it's time to take some, some steps. It's time to take some real steps. The first thing I would say, and you can write these down. This isn't in your notes, but the first is to build some firewalls. You guys know what firewalls are? Uh, firewalls are simply a blockade in your life. Um, if you have a certain propensity for something unhealthy in your life, it'd probably be good not to have it sitting on your kitchen counter when you wake up in the morning, right? Like if you're addicted to something, if you're addicted to some other kind of drug, it'd probably be good to get it out of the house. If you're an alcoholic, it's probably not great to have your fridge full of beer. It's like, you just, you got to be honest and go, if this is not helping me, then what do I do? I mean, and it's going to be, this is going to be work, you guys, to build firewalls. First Timothy 6.11 says, as, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee them, literally, running from the things that entangle you. So build some firewalls. My daughter, Cadence, she's nine years old, and we just bought her a Kindle because they're like cheap, they're really cheap, but they've got all the web access of everything else. And so I got this thing and I opened up to the back and I, the back side of the thing and started shutting off all the internet access and trying to turn on all the parental controls and everything because she's, she's nine, right? I want to protect my child. So I started shutting everything off. And, uh, and then I got it all set up, and I downloaded this book. It was a free uh, 101 Jokes. had a picture of, like, a cartoon on the front, 101 Jokes. And I was like, oh, it's a kid's book or whatever. And I download it for her, and I'm like, well, I should just open this up and see what kind of jokes are in here. And the very first page is an advertisement for some cheesy romance novel. And here's this girl, and, like, she's barely dressed, and she's just barely covering herself up, and the guy's holding her, and he's got no clothes on. It's like this profile view, and they're not wearing anything. And I'm just, I was just getting ready to hand this to my daughter. And I was shocked because I'm like, you know what? This was not an accident. This was, so people are out to get your kids, right? 
I mean, if you're a parent, you just got to be honest about it and know that like handing your kids pieces of technology and not at least drawing some boundaries for them, like that's not loving your kids. And you can't protect them from everything, but understand like drawing some boundaries is going to be helpful. And I'll say this too, and, and, and this is hard in my life because like I already shared some of my story. Um, just because you struggled with something as a parent or just because you did something as a parent doesn't mean you need to saddle your kids with the same things you did. And, and I know that probably sounds harsh. But for you to draw boundaries and to have hard conversations about being healthy in, a sexual, in the sexual realm, even if you've made mistakes, that's not hypocrisy, that's integrity. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Like, you can talk about this, parents, even if you're like, my life is a wreck. That doesn't mean you saddle your kids with it because you made the mistakes. You go to them, you tell your story, you're honest with them. You say, I've messed this up, I want something better for you. So please learn from me. That's redemption, right? So parents, lean into that. Build firewalls for yourself, for your kids. Uh, maybe in your family, you just need to get a basket and put it on the countertop. And then at, uh, you know, at 8 p.m., all of the electronic devices go into the basket, basket. And they don't leave that basket till the next morning, you know? Maybe you're going to download uh, X3 Watch, which there's a lot of different stuff online that you can download that's uh, internet accountability software. Maybe you need to unfriend some people on Facebook, men and women. Maybe you don't need to talk to that girlfriend from high school or that boyfriend from high school. Like, I know it's been years, and I know nothing could ever happen, but maybe you just don't need that in your life at this point. Maybe that doesn't sound very loving, you know, but be honest with yourself about the relationships that you have and draw some boundaries. Uh, number two is burn your back up. Burn your back up. So when people start taking steps towards getting healthy, the tendency is to hide something, right? Right? If you're an alcoholic and you're like, I want to get better, it's tell all your friends that you threw out all the beer and then you got like a fifth of something underneath the bed, right? You just hide something somewhere. So be honest with yourself. If there's stuff that you're hiding in your life because you're not ready to give it up, be honest about that. Get rid of it. Clear it out. And if you're not willing to do this, um, I think then, again, be honest and say, I'm just not ready and willing to make the sacrifice that it's going to take to get healthy in this area. And if you're not there, you're not there. Nothing's going to force you to be there unless you go through something so painful that it moves you forward. But understand, like, a lot of times the boundaries that we draw, they reveal our hearts. They show us just what we're willing to do. And the third thing is this, be accountable. James 5, 16, we've talked about this a few months ago. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You guys, you have to talk. You have to talk. Married couples, have to talk. I know, you do, I know it's awkward, and there's some guys that are like, mad at me right now like dude don't do this but listen I know it's painful but have the talk be honest about it have these conversations like how are you doing are you feeling healthy can I can I help you in any way to be healthier when it comes to your sexuality friends teenagers if you're single have the talk find a trusted friend have the conversation and then don't just talk about it pray for one, one another like we just read this I'm going to pray for all of us in just a minute that there is power in prayer because prayer is us going to God and saying, God, we need your help. Like we can't just, we can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't fix this problem on our own. We need a greater vision. 
We need to remember who you are, who we are, and how unworthy we are of your grace, but how good you are that you give it to us anyway. That's what prayer does for us. So don't just talk about your problems. Pray for each other. Take what's in the darkness and bring it out into the light. And let Christ shine on it. And you're going to experience some freedom. I know you will. A couple other things. In our house, we, uh, we get Sharpie markers and we write verses on our mirrors. I don't know if you've ever done this. But when there's something going on in our lives that we just need to remember, we'll get a Sharpie. And um, a couple verses for you real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you need to know that there can be victory. Some of you have gotten so used to your sin, so used to the chains that, that bind you that you've just decided God can't do anything about it. You need to remember that there is victory in Jesus, that he's already won. He's already won, and your sin only has the power that you're giving it. So don't give it any power. Walk away from it. The next verse, write down this, Luke 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. Again, you gotta trust him. You gotta lean into him. And if you're here today and you're like, Brian, I, I don't know him. Well, today's your day. Today's your day to lean into God and to say, I need help. Maybe this is your breaking point. I feel like everybody has a breaking point where they realize they can't get their life together. They can't fix their problems. And that's the point where you look up to the sky and say, God, I just need, I need you. I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you're real. And you cry out to him and he's there for you. And so know this today, wherever you're at, he is waiting for you to come to him. And I want for us to be a church that I hope today that as you walk out into this parking lot, you walk out with so much freedom and such a sense of peace. Like, I hope that you can leave the shame here today. Like, and don't pick it up again when you go home. That you can leave it here because it's not helping you. It's not paying in any way for your sins. Jesus already paid for your sin. So I hope you can receive that today. Nothing is impossible with God. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, uh, we need your grace. And um, this is such a big problem in our lives and in our friends' lives, our families' lives, in our society. God, we see so much brokenness, so much disconnect. And we see people looking to, to be filled up, people who are living empty lives looking to be filled sexually, God. And we know this today to be true, God, that you are the only one that can satisfy us. So God, I pray right now for the person in the room who is covered in shame. God, would you just lavish them with a sense of your grace and your love today? God, could they just even imagine you calling to them with, with open arms? God, that, that, that your embrace is, is ready and waiting. God, that we could leave our shame here today at the altar and walk with you. God, I pray for the person here today who feels like there is no capital between them and you. God, like you're a distant father who could care less about their problems. God, I pray that they would sense you near to them, that this wouldn't be some kind of uh, conjured up experience, but they would sense the living God in this place calling to them, simply saying, come. And God, I pray for those who have been walking in step with you, trying to get healthy, God, that you would give them diligence. God, that you would give them conviction to make the hard decisions to make the sacrifices it's going to take to get healthy. 
God, I pray there'd be a lot of difficult conversations that would happen today. But God, I pray that we'd see how it pays off to bring our sin to the light, God, that you just want to wash us clean. Thank you for your peace, God. Thanks that we can worship in these next few moments and give it all to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One last thing before before we worship. If you're here today and you're like, I feel like I need to take a step. I feel like I need to do something. I feel like I need to kind of make a commitment here. It's time that I take a step forward. I want you to grab one of the cards in the seat in front of you, those communication cards. And on the very bottom of the card, just write this out. Write the words, I will fight. And I want us to be a church of fighters as we go home today. And and maybe that's just something for you to do, just to say, I'm gonna fight. More than just thinking this in your head today, but actually to write it down, I want you to turn it into the, to the offering or the box in the back. And you don't have to put your name on it. You can leave it anonymous or you can. And I would love to be praying for you all this week. And we're gonna fight together, amen? Amen, let's worship. Love you guys, thanks.